Chronicles, please. It's good to be here. I'll uh, talk to you a little more about uh, uh, our coming and our going uh, in the next service. But uh, in summary, we got in here about one week ago. I had to preach a meeting I had committed to about two years ago. So we came in for that meeting. We're leaving tonight to get back to our work in Thailand. But it's always a blessing to be with you uh, when we're able to do that. Okay, uh, Second Chronicles, we're going to pick up on the seventh chapter and we're going to read familiar verses and launch from here. Uh, I had uh, been working to give you something uh, different than this message. Uh, I've, I've never preached a message like this before. Uh, I was going to do something different and I just felt God telling me, no, no, you, you, you should do this thing. So I, I just put together a few thoughts last night that I thought the Lord would have me to share with you. And uh, let's read the verses first, uh, and then we'll talk some more about what this is about. So let's read familiar verses. We're in Second Chronicles chapter 7, picking up on the 12th verse through to the 14th. It says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven... And there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land." The title of the uh, Sunday School time this morning is uh, What Can Help America? What Can Help America? Uh, This uh, past week, uh, it came in the newspapers in uh, Thailand, and then I saw also uh, here in the USA today when I flew in, they said the Australian dollar had, for the first time in 30 years, was now equivalent to the US dollar. And they said they expected in about a week's time that the Australian dollar will be worth $1.10 US dollars. Now, as I, as I heard that, and as I've been seeing a little bit of what's been happening here, and I try to follow the trends of your country and a little bit of what's happening from a distance, I realized that this time there's a great deal of concern amongst many of you about the direction your country is going in and uh, some of the things that are happening here. I still think America is a great land, but I do think you have some challenges, and I think that the majority of people are becoming increasingly aware that rather than uh, progressing, you seem to be a little bit regressing. And so uh, I'm probably stepping on dangerous ground, even saying that much as a foreigner, but I want you to know I say it from a heart of loving this place. Uh, I'm, I'm not somebody who wants to live in America. I've never wanted to. Li- I have my own home. I have my own people. But I love the people of God here. And the people of God here have uh, contributed so much to uh, the need around the world in terms of missions. And uh, I love the local churches here that are seeking to serve God and do right. But it does seem that uh, in some way maybe your great country is perhaps losing its way a little bit in the direction it's going. Now, 
these passages tell us that uh, there is something we can do when that thing happens. And I want to just take you through some of this. Let me say firstly that what God is saying here, now remember, this was a high point for these people. They had dedicated the house of God. The presence of God had come. The glory of God had overcome the priests that they couldn't even enter into minister. This was not a low point in the nation's history. This was a high point. And, uh, and this was a point where people uh, probably felt uh, spiritually uh, uh, touched by the fact that God was near. God didn't seem to be distant. God was close and God was present and, and God had blessed their labors and their work. But even at this point... God says to Solomon, there's something I need to tell you. And it's, it's, as, it's, it's, it's like God saying, I understand where we're at now. But let me just tell you this, Solomon, regarding this place where you will come to pray. If, and it's verse 13, if I shut up heaven, God's saying, Solomon, if at some point in the future, it isn't like this. It isn't how it is today. And, 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 and I have to exercise a certain judgment on the land. And I hold back the rain and, uh, and, uh, and I send the pests and there's some, Solomon, when that happens, if that thing happens, then this is what you need to do. Now, what God is telling us there is this. Good things can lose their way over time. God is telling them this at a high point, not a low point. This, this, this is not the word of God coming to a people in apostasy. This is the word of God coming to people in spiritual prosperity. And God just saying, if you lose your way and I have to move my hand against your country, then here's the thing you need to do to get me back. This is what you need to do. And that's what God is saying. Now, the truth of it is, good things can lose their way. And, and by the way, for the record, I still think that, that I still think your country is, is the greatest uh, in the world as far as uh, influence and power and many things. And I still believe that. But good things can lose their way. Good churches can lose their way. Churches can start good, and then then a drift comes, and things start to happen, and. And maybe the leadership is not doing what it should be doing and things change and Bibles change and, and the emphasis that was on reaching the lost starts to change and good churches can lose their way. Uh, good, good nations can lose their way. Good Christians can lose their way. And history reveals to us that the greatest nations did not fall from without. They fell because of what was happening within. And often those who have had the greatest blessings, and I think most of us would acknowledge that this has been a land upon which there have been many blessings. Those that have had the greatest blessings are often held to the highest accountability. And so God is saying, Solomon, okay, now we're not at this time, but should this thing happen, this is what you need to do. Now, if you look in verse number 14, we have the passage that almost every Christian knows. And uh, God says, you need to just do some things. And you'll notice that God opens by saying, you have to humble yourself. In verse number 14. Now, when God is saying, if this thing happens, and I exercise a certain judgment on your land, 
that when you need to come to me, you need to pray, and the first thing you should do is humble yourself. If God is saying that, we can know this thing, that pride is always an element of that drift or that downward cycle. Somehow pride comes in, and, and pride is the thing that starts to take us away from our God. And pride can come from success. When we have a history of success, or when we live in a land of plenty, then we can develop a pride, or we can develop, as it were, an independence from God, where we feel like we're doing okay. I, I know that's a problem in my country, in Australia. People feel like they're doing okay. Of course, you're never doing okay unless you have the Lord. But they feel like they're doing okay. And, and what can happen is when, when, when you, when you flushed with success, and brethren, let me warn you in any area of life, if God blesses you in your ministry, if God blesses you in your business, if God blesses you in your family, God blesses you in your local church, even up to a national level, we need to be very careful that, that we don't get carried away with that success and forget who it was that buttered our bread. And we know that it's God. If we don't have God, we have nothing. You know, I'm conscious all the time that the blessings I have can be taken away at any moment from the Lord. Everything I have is not, it's not hard for God to just remove the blessing if He wants to. I didn't bless myself. Everything that we have in our ministry and, and everything we're seeing God do, it is God doing it. And if God stops doing it, we will not be able to fabricate the work of the Holy Spirit. It has to be the Lord. And so pride just can get in there. In Proverbs 16, 18, the Bible says, Pride goeth before destruction. It's the thing that comes before. And a haughty spirit before a fall. I want you to pick up on Ezekiel chapter number 16. Ezekiel chapter number 16. And uh, I find these passages are often overlooked. Typically, if you said to most Christians, what was the reason why God judged Sodom and Gomorrah? You know what most people would say. And I think that was certainly one of the reasons. But I think when you read this 16th chapter of Ezekiel, it brings it home a little bit closer to us. Where other things we might dismiss and say, well, you know, that's not a big problem for many of us. But, but uh, uh, chapter 16 of Ezekiel, if you look please at verse 49 and 50, and here uh, the Lord is, is, uh, is rebuking his own and liking it unto uh, Sodom, and he says this in verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Now notice the first word, pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, that's like her other places. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. If you want to know why God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, don't overlook this passage. Because this is God's narrative on why that judgment came. And it goes on to say, rightfully, and they were haughty and committed abomination, and we know that part, before me, therefore I took them away as I saw good. You see, remember when Lot looked down to Sodom and Gomorrah, remember when he looked, it was the well watered plains of Sodom. Remember that? And here's what that means in an agricultural society, which that society was agricultural. Well-watered plains means you have abundant crops. In other words, you're living in a place of abundance. 
You have plenty. Where it's harder for other people to get, you you get it through uh, the blessing of your location. And so apparently what had happened over, over a period of time, the uh, residents of Sodom and Gomorrah had, had uh, developed pride. And, uh, and they, had, they had forgot that the things they enjoyed, it was only at God's hand. And they developed pride. Notice he says fullness of bread, meaning they didn't want for anything. And then, and then when, when you have pride and when you have like abundance and fullness of bread, the next thing is you have idleness. And idleness is, is the quest for pleasure. I don't have to work. I'm able to work less. I want to play more. Because I have abundance and fullness of bread and, and, and so we have much more time and where there's time without God, there's sin. And so, so when people have lots of leisure time, but they don't have God, it goes to sin. You know, old people used to say the devil finds work for idle hands. And, uh, it's, it's true. So, so you see there in Ezekiel that God warns and said one of the, the problems here was, was the matter of, of, uh, pride. And that's why God said, if you're going to come and pray, you firstly, you need to humble yourself. You need to empty yourself of your pride. And then I want you to see that the judgment on a land will always involve economic hardship. Remember that when God addressed the people in Solomon's time, again, they lived in, in, in a time where it was largely agricultural. There, there weren't factories and electronics and all of that. So, so in a time where, where agri- and you remember, even under David's reign, David had people appointed to take care of crops and to do things. It was, it was part of what a working kingdom needed to be. But God said, look, if I hold back the rain and I send the locusts, you know what that means? It means that your crops fail. And when your crops fail, you, you, you're in a serious time of economic hardship. And, and not just economic hardship, but personal hardship. Those things are often connected. And I'm trying to say to you in a, in a, in a way that says, let's think about what's happening in our countries. Let's think about when we see some things starting to happen, what could this mean? Could this be bigger than somebody just made a mistake with the budget? Could this just be bigger than we, we need new people in the Congress? Could this just be bigger that if we had a different leader, perhaps? Is it possible that it's not really about that, that those things have been instrumental, but really, is it possible that it's the hand of God? And that, and that, the, and that the economic downturn and the economic troubles, and it can, look, every country cycles, but is it possible that this thing is getting a little deeper and this is, this is God saying, there's some things that you need to address here. This is the same God that took you from nothing and elevated you to the greatest nation in the world. And now God is saying, you know, if you, 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 if you leave me, everything you had will go. Because everything you had, I gave you. It wasn't you, it was me. And as I'm the Lord that giveth, I can be the Lord that taketh away as well. And so economic ruin and, and economic hardship is just something we need to think, well, is this... Is this God? And that's what God was saying to Solomon. Look, if I do this thing and, and you start to say, you know what, look, it hasn't rained and we're having problem with our crops and, 
and it's getting hard and, you know, we, we, our incomes are dropping and then it's getting worse. And, and who could believe that after years of no rain, a plague of locusts would come? What does all this mean? Who can we blame? And God is saying, look up, think. I told you about this. I said that this could happen. And this is me. I'm doing this thing. So, so when you see those things. Now, the next thing that we ask this question, who can, who can save the land? What can you do? When, when, if, if the hand of God begins to move upon you in that way, what's the answer? Who, who do you look to? Uh, who can save the land? Who can, who can get things fixed? Who can cause God to, to change and end these hardships? And the answer of who can do it is firstly who cannot do it. It's not the politicians. And I, I believe you should vote wisely. But it's not the politicians that are going to change the country. It's not the politicians who are going to bring the restoration that is needed. And, uh, and you know, you might, you be careful that you don't confuse biblical Christianity with political conservativeness. They are two different things. They're not the same. And there's somewhat an attempt to overlap that, but be careful, they're different things. It's not the unsaved. The unsaved are not the people who will, who will get the blessings to come back again. It's not the unsaved. Because when the unsaved go through those hardships, when the rain stops and the locusts come, and you have that, that, that economic and hardship descends on people, it's not the unsaved to get more tender. In fact, the unsaved can be seen in the life of Ahab. Remember, Ahab said to Elijah when he found him, Oh, you're the one that troubles Israel. See that? Ahab blames Elijah, the man of God. Ahab doesn't say it's because of my wickedness and, and, do I, and it was his wickedness. But he wouldn't own the problem. And when the unsaved get that, they just get more stiff-necked. And they just look to blame somebody else for what's happening. So, so it's not going to be the politicians. It's not going to be the unsaved. It has to be the righteous. And it's, it, and it's always been that way. You know, look, look, and uh, well, do we need to turn there? In the passage in Genesis 18, remember Abraham pleading with God to delay his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And God saying, uh, Abraham saying to God, if there were 50 righteous in the whole city, would you hold back your hand? And God said, if, look, if, if there's 50 righteous, I won't judge the place. And you remember Abraham pleads and somewhat bargains with God till he gets down to 10 righteous. Now, now that tells us that God is saying that the blessing or the lack of blessing on a land is not dependent on the unsaved, it's dependent on the righteous. And if, there, if the righteous are present, it, it can be enough to... To, to, to stop the hand of judgment or delay the hand of judgment. So, so the problem here is that we need to be recognizing it's not somebody else's problem. This is something that I need to think about. What can I do? It starts with saved individuals, ordinary people. Now, I say saved individuals because what we can do, we can read that passage in Second Chronicles and, uh, and we can... We can be we can be thinking, you know, that the Bible says if my people will to call by my name, etc., etc., and we can be thinking, you know, if we can just get people to do this thing, and we're thinking corporately instead of saying, I need to do this thing. It starts with me. What I'm saying is, you don't wait for everybody else to start caring. 
You don't wait for, you don't say, well, you know, when we can get together and humble ourselves. You don't wait for other people to humble themselves. You take it upon yourself to do it. And maybe, 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 yeah, maybe we need to start praying more for our country in our prayers. Maybe, maybe we need to start pleading the case of our country when we go to God. Maybe we need to give a little more attention to that and start praying and just, just giving that a little more prayer when we go. Somebody has to stand in the gap. And it's not going to be the unsaved or the politicians or, or others who will stand in the gap. They don't even understand the problem. They can't pinpoint the cause. But we understand. And so we need to rise up and stand in the gap. Now, as we do that, God calls us to come and to pray to him. So he says, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, so purge out, first of all, purge out your personal pride. Before you ask God to judge some leader somewhere, examine yourself. And ask God to show you you. And you might find the first thing you need to do is just, is just, just humble yourself before God. And then God says, if they'll humble themselves and if they'll, if they'll pray. So God is saying, okay, humble yourself, come to me and pray about this thing. Now, what do you pray? When you pray about the hand of God being heavy on your nation or, or, or then you, you, you pray a prayer of recognition. And the prayer of recognition is this. Lord, I realize this condition has come upon us because of sin. So it's not a prayer of blaming anybody else. It's not a prayer that, that somehow uh, divorces you from the equation. I'll show you that in a moment. It's a prayer of recognition that, that, that things are not how they should be here because of sin. And when we won't admit our sin, we're just evidencing our pride. Does that make sense? That's why the pride thing has to be dealt with before you get to the sin. Because you won't admit your sin. Now, here's what we're very good at doing. We're very good at saying, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. And we even write in songs, you know. He saved just an old sinner like me. And we've almost sanitized it. An old sinner like me. doesn't sound too bad. You know, almost a little bit of a romantic notion. I'm just an old sinner. We can grin while we say it. But actually, when you start to name your sin, you don't feel so good about it anymore. When you have to start saying, God... I'm a liar. That doesn't feel good. Oh God, when I didn't pay this thing, I stole. Lord, I'm a thief like the one who was crucified to your left and to your right. I'm just the same. And then we start to choke on it. When you start to name your sin. Because when you name it, you own it. But if you just, if you just hide behind the rope, I'm just an old sinner. You can just bounce along your way. It doesn't feel too bad. Look in uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. This is a great example of the kind of prayer that you pray when the hand of God has been heavy on your nation. In Nehemiah chapter 1, because this in fact was their experience where God had judged the nation. 
And I want you to see, just notice two verses here for sake of time, verses 6 and 7. But I want you to see here the prayer that Nehemiah prays. And I want you to pick up on the tone of the prayer. Uh, and verses 6, Nehemiah chapter 1, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night. Now just, just follow the tone. For the children of Israel, thy servants, he's praying for them, and confess the sins of the children of Israel. Now notice this, which we have sinned against thee. Now, remember, they were carried in captivity because of the actions of generations before him. But he's owning the sin. He's not saying them. He says it's we. We did this. And then he says this, uh, which we have sinned against him. Notice this, both I and my father's house have sinned. So he says, he's, he didn't just say, this was dad's generation that caused the problem. This was the people before who wouldn't listen to God, who led us to this place of captivity. He says, no, he says, it, it, which we have sinned against thee, both I, it's me, I've been a part of this. And he's taking ownership of the sin that brought the judgment on his land. And then he says in verse 7, we have dealt very corruptly against thee. And have not kept the commandments of the statutes. Now, that prayer is a prayer where Nehemiah owns the sin of the nation and even the generations before. And he's pleading with God for a restoration, a new beginning, a reversal of the hand of God. And he's going to get that. But notice how he prays. So, so we, we, God is saying, humble yourself and, and come to me. And that, that humility is a real key. Remember God says in James 4, God resisteth the proud, which is the thought is there, he'll keep you at arm distance. God resisteth the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. So we cannot rise up until we first get lowly. We need his grace. America needs the grace of God. America needs the mercies of God. And then he says, if you'll, if you'll humble yourself and uh, if you'll uh, pray, and then notice in the, where in the Chronicles passage, you, you'll seek my face. To seek God's face is simply to desire more of him, to, to, to want to go after his blessing, to desire his countenance to be looking upon you, to want his working, and to be willing to seek it above other things that we seek or want. Are we seeking God's face, humbling ourselves, taking ownership of the sin, and then, and then having a fervency in wanting to seek God's face and seek his blessings? And the Bible tells us many times, and it's most vividly brought out in the Matthew 6 passage, that if we will seek the things of God first, the other things will come. But so often we want the other things. But God said, if, if, if you find your land in this condition, then you need to come, humble yourself, pray, and seek after my face. And then God says, if you'll turn from your wicked ways in the Chronicles passage, then God will hear. Now, this is a personal duty, not just a corporate one. 
We, we have to understand, as long as, as long as we have sins, whether they're secret or known, that we are contributing to the problem. We can't blame somebody else. If we have wicked ways, we're a part of the problem, why our country is the way it is. And we shouldn't think because ours is secret and others is known, that it's not known to God. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. And he sees the good and the evil. Nothing is hidden to God. And God says, turn, turn from your wicked ways. You know, and, and forsake that. And when you do that, you're taking ownership of the problem. Sometimes it's easier to see the sin in our nation than the sin in our lives. Sometimes it's easy sort of to walk around with a mental placard uh, decrying the sins of the nation and not seeing the sins of the one who holds the placard. So God is saying, look at you. You know, take ownership. If you want, if you want God to restore the blessing, if you want, if you want that, then, then you step up. Don't wait for somebody else. Don't, don't say, well, brother, this message is right. You know, we, we need, people in America need to do this. Well, they do, but you need to do it. You know, don't wait for somebody else. Let, let your voice be a voice that God is hearing, praying and pleading for your nation, but taking ownership and responsibility for how it got there. This will be our last passage and we'll be out of here in good time this morning. Psalm 66, verse 18 and 20, the passage says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, it's hard to seek the face of God if you're holding uh, iniquity in your heart. But then the psalmist says, But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And that's what we want for this country. We, we want to be able to say, God hath heard my prayer. God hath attended to the voice of the prayers of the righteous. God has not turned away. And you understand, when the Bible talks about God hearing our prayers, it's, it's the, the thought is not, God knows you're talking. Whether he hears you or not, he knows you're talking. But he's not, you understand? You can, you, how can I say, you can hear, but you can not be listening. The thought is, yeah, I, I know, uh, you know, I know what you're doing. I can see what you're doing. I know what you're saying, but there's that little matter of that iniquity in your heart that I'd like you to take care of before we discuss this any further. You know, he knows you're praying, but he's not, he's not hearing your prayer as such because there's, there's some things that you need to take care of. Look, uh, it, it seemed to me every Christian's had an experience like that. Well, you've gone to pray about something and maybe you started asking for something and God just tapped you on the shoulder and said, what about this? The Holy Spirit has a way of bringing up anything that is not to his uh, pleasing when we pray. And that's your time to get that right. When, when the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder about something, you've got two choices. You can either just resist it. Here's what you can do. You can pretend you're not hearing the Holy Spirit. You can just act like, you can just keep marching on in your prayers or your life and pretend like you didn't hear that still small voice, but really you did hear it. But you're pretending you didn't hear it because you don't want to do what it said. 
So you can pretend you're not hearing it or you can stop, acknowledge it, mm. ask God's forgiveness and see if God wants you to do something further about that and then get on with your prayers. There's no point praying if God's not going to hear us. You understand what I'm saying? We need, we need God to, we need to, we need to have prayer lives where God is actioning our prayers. And so God is, that's why God said in the second Chronicles passage, if you'll just move away from your wickedness and then, and then there'll be no blockage there. I'll listen to you. I'll hear your prayers. I'll hear you praying the Nehemiah prayer. Lord, we have sinned, both I and my father's house. I take ownership of this. And God says, I'll bring restoration to your land. I, I, I believe this, that we can, we can buy time for our countries. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, God said this about the Amorites. When God was talking to Abraham, God said, you know, at a future time, uh, your descendants will do and they'll occupy this land. And then God makes this curious little statement because the, uh, the, the, cup, the cup of the Amorites' iniquity is not yet full. The time is not right because they're sinning and their iniquity is there, but it's not full yet. And when it gets full, you know, that's when you get the judgment. And here's what I'm saying is, look, it would have been possible for the Amorites to delay their judgment. Their judgment was coming as quick as they filled their cup. So it can be possible we can stay the hand of judgment on our nation. We can buy time. You understand? I mean, would it be worth it if we could buy another generation or another two generations or, or on? I mean, it's worth it. If these are your children, your grandchildren, and, you know, if we can, if we, and you just might get time. You, maybe you won't stop it forever. But you can, you can get time. You can get time. And we ought to understand our part in doing that. We should not sit and think that we are just to remain passive in the face of God's judgment on our land or blame somebody else, or, 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 or confuse a spiritual problem by calling it a political problem. We should take ownership of the situation and pray. And as for me, well, I'm going to be praying for America. Because there are, there are people here that I love and care about, who want to serve God and do right, and, and I'm going to take a certain part in, in, in praying for that. And, and how much more should you who call this place your home? Let's pray. Father, bless the, uh, the thoughts from the word of God to our heart. Help us to remember these truths. Prepare us for the morning service now. Lord, we want to draw close to you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. And then grant us obedience and help us. Have, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord, on this great land. This place where you... You took little and you made much. This place that has blessed so many in so many other places. Lord, have mercy here. Speak to your people, the ones who can truly stand in the gap. And help us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.